Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with founder of Pet Insights and assistant professor of psychology at Harris Stowe State University, Dr. Jill Villarreal. Hi, Dr. Jill, and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Dr. Jill actually spoke at Pet Food Forum 2022 earlier this year, but if you missed her amazing presentation, here's what you need to know about her. In 2006, she earned her Doctorate of Philosophy from Indiana University with a major in Biology, Behavior, and Neuroscience, a minor in Developmental Psychology, and a certificate in the Interdisciplinary Study of Animal Behavior. Upon completion of her doctorate, Dr. Dill joined Nestle Purina as a scientist and then senior scientist. During her time there, she studied cat behavior and how pet care products promote the well-being of cats and oversaw the global implementation of cat welfare programs within the company. Dr. Jill then moved to Del Monte as a senior manager in the Consumer, Customer, Strategy, and Insights Department. She stayed with the company through their transition to Big Heart Pet Brands and J.M. Smucker, developing behavioral, physiological, and neurological methods to help predict in-market success of pet products, pet product advertisements, and pet parent-centered digital content. She led consumer insights research efforts in collaboration with top academic and business partners to cue marketing efforts on pet parents' positive and negative responses to pets' subtle feeding behaviors. In 2016, Dr. Jill took on the Director of Applied Pet Behavior position at AFB International, where she set the overall vision and oversaw execution of palatability, human and pet sensory, and pet behavior research to promote successful development of new palatability enhancers in a business-to-business environment. In 2018, Dr. Jill combined her passion for research and teaching, joining Harris Stowe State University, an HBCU, historically black college or university, as an assistant professor in psychology and psychology program coordinator. At HSSU, Dr. Jill develops and implements activities that support continued growth and enhancement of their psychology program. She teaches and conducts basic research in the fields of consumer psychology, biological psychology, social psychology, and health psychology. Also in 2018, Dr. Jill founded Pet Insights LLC to provide pet care companies a deep understanding of pet behavior, psychology of pet parents, and pet products currently in the market. Pet Insights' mission is to enhance companies' new product development, product renovation, product assessment, and marketing of pet products. Pet Insights' goal is to meet a company's needs with customized solutions that allow them to rapidly respond to the ever-changing pet care market landscape. I think you'll agree that Dr. Jill is incredibly qualified to help me answer today's question. What are the benefits and needs of diversity in pet food consumer research? So Dr. Jill, we have covered in your bio some of your experience with research and surveying, but I want to dive into that a little bit more. What is some of your experience with research and surveying relevant to our topic today? Well, I have a PhD in psychological and brain sciences. And as you may know, psychology programs really focus heavily on all different types of research methods, including survey research. Although in my dissertation research, it was far more hands-on experimental, looking at physiological and behavioral changes due to environmental factors, things like heart rate variability, pupil dilation, activity, things like that. 
It wasn't until I got into the business environment when I realized what we were seeing in the animals as far as their sensory experiences, as their perceptions, their behavioral responses, wasn't always matching up with what people were saying at home when they actually fed products or played with toys or different pet food and pet care products in the field. So that really drove my interest to move into consumer insights to really understand this mismatch between what consumers were reporting and what the scientists said pets were perceiving or indicating from those type of trials. And there is a difference. When scientists look at behavior in animals and feeding trials, they may be breaking it down second by second, where in home, a pet parent is looking at the overall experience. So I began working on standard in-home use test surveys. And as we were doing those for a lot of the products, we had to start with a standard survey and then add questions that were specific to the products, especially with a lot of new innovative projects. The questions that are standard on a lot of the surveys don't really get into the nitty gritty of the perceptions or the use of the product and the interactions and responses of the pet to the products. So we began expanding that aspect of the surveys and adding that into a lot of in-home use tests. Then in 2018, I went on and founded my consulting company, Pet Insights. And one of the services we offer is custom survey research because a lot of the standard surveys don't dive into those drivers of product enjoyment and perceived pet liking. So that's how I furthered my understanding and development more of really highly customized research. As an assistant professor at Harrisdow State University, my focus of my research is a little different. We are a historically Black college and university. We were founded over 100 years ago. Our student body is mostly serving urban Black youth. And so one of the things that drives it is student interest in topics. And my students came to me and said that they felt really left out of the conversation about pet behavior and human-animal interactions. So our mission there is to really broaden inclusion in our understanding of the pet-parent interaction and how people interact with pet products. And we are about to dive right into that, into diversity in pet consumer surveys in the pet industry and how we can fix all of that. That's what this episode is going to be about. But I want to focus on you for just another minute because I'm so fascinated by the path that your education took to get to the specialties that you have now. Are there a lot of people who do what you do? And did you always intend to end up here? Or did you find yourself gathering these skill sets and go, hey, I can do something unique with this and address something that not many other people would be in a qualified position to address in the pet industry. My career absolutely did not take a planned path. When I started graduate school, I was determined that I was going a purely academic research track. And I really thought that that's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until the last year that I began looking at job opportunities and I would even begin to consider going into industry. It was a time when there were very few academic jobs available. I actually was fortunate to be offered a postdoc at McGill University at the same time as a scientist position at Nestle Purina. And it was a very hard decision 
But the reason I went to Nestle Perino over the postdoc at McGill was because of the resources and the quality of science available at Nestle Perino. So at the time, there was just so much more available in the industry world to learn and grow and to do humane research with animals. One of the things Nestle Purina and many of the pet food companies have is a non-invasive research policy where they don't do any experimentation on pets that is not anything a veterinarian would do. That really drove my interest. And then the resources to develop new techniques in the past at universities, sometimes they do things because they've always done it that way or it's affordable. In industry, there were other factors. And so innovation and development is a high driver we see in industry. And obviously, the industry wants to continue to innovate and grow, which is why today's conversation is going to be so important. It's time to talk about diversity or the lack thereof. What has been your experience with diversity specifically in the pet space and even more in pet consumer surveys? Where are the gaps there and what kind of impact do those lacks have on overall pet consumer research? It's difficult because there's two things going on. There's the diversity of the research team which stems from how do we prepare people for these positions in industry and making sure that we have a diverse employment pipeline for people coming up within the industry. And then the other is the respondents and who we target for the surveys. One of the things that my students pointed out to me I teach how to read research literature with a critical eye and we dive into the participants section. And my students really pointed out to me how appalled they were and really upset and dismayed by the lack of diversity in the samples of published papers in the field of human-animal bonds, human-animal interactions, pet food purchasing behavior, because most of the samples were of Caucasian females between 20 and 50 years of age. The reason for that is not malicious. It seems to be of convenience. If you put out a survey on Instagram, Facebook, you get a high response rate from Caucasian females between 20 and 50 years of age. If you're not deliberately targeting and saying, I need a stratified sample to really represent the diversity of pet food customers or pet product customers, then you wind up with a very biased sample. And then the issue is when you make generalizations from that biased sample, do they truly apply to the general pet food, pet parent, customer of pet products? Why is it, do you think that because I'm in that demographic. I'm a Caucasian female. I'm 39 years old and I love a good survey. So I know why I take surveys. Why do people not in that demographic, is it that they have a reticence towards consumer research or surveys in general, or are they simply not being reached? And this is why I think it's really important to have a diverse research team, because I asked that same question. Because I put it out there and all of a sudden I had a thousand Caucasian females that had responded to the survey in a matter of days and we didn't see much diversity. And so I posed that to my students. And again, I'm at an HBCU. So I have 
students that are primarily African-American and Hispanic and a few Caucasian students. And they inform me, because I'm a Caucasian female myself, that there is a weariness to respond to surveys that are not for general knowledge, that they're company-based because they don't want their information used to manipulate the ethnic or racial group in which they identify. That is a hurdle. It is a hurdle, but how we were able to overcome it is one, we're a university, Harrisville University, where we're doing basic research. So we're not trying to sell a specific product. We're trying to understand consumer behavior in general and of different consumer groups. And so there's no motive to manipulate a certain group into increasing purchases of a certain product. That is very critical. Doing it from a true, authentic, seeking to understand, wanting to listen really matters. So establishing that trust. It was really important that my research team, my students that work with me at Harris-Stowe were involved in this research because having a diverse research team helped build that trust. When people are contacted by somebody that identifies with the same human factors, properties as them, they're more likely to open up and say, okay, they get me. They don't just talk a talk. It's not all lip service. There are people that are doing this that really generally care about making sure the products meet my needs and my pet's needs. Having diversity in your research team matters. It matters not only from building trust, but also in the contacting of potential survey respondents. But it also helps in how the survey is presented, formatted, and written. There are all kinds of subtle biases we have because most of these surveys have been developed by Caucasian men, Caucasian females. Most of the industry is primarily white. And when we write the questions, we unknowingly write them from a very white perspective. Having my students go through with me question by question and point out maybe phrasing that is just not phrasing that fits within their culture really helps improve our response rate. There are systemic challenges at play here and systemic issues and going all the way back to not having enough diversity in the industry and within the group of people performing the research. So that means that at least some of the solutions would need to be systemic as well, right? So increased diversity on research teams, increased diversity in the industry so that we can have these conversations and build that trust to a different demographic of consumers. Correct. And that is challenging because a lot of my students come from low income backgrounds. They know of careers, they know about biology, they know about chemistry, they know about psychology in general, but they don't know about career paths in general within the pet food space. It's not something they've thought about. It's not something that they're aware of. So there are career paths out there that they're not exposed to. So one of the things I put together at Harrisburg State University is a seminar class where every week I bring in a different expert from a different area of focus, whether it be sensory, whether it be data analytics, product development, to expose students 
to these different career paths, because once you say, oh, that's something I can do, then the next step is, well, what do I need to learn to go into that field? And the thing is, is a lot of these careers in the pet industry are very interdisciplinary. So it's not that, you know, you're solely focused on chemistry. It's you have to have chemistry plus an understanding of maybe a little bit of engineering or chemistry and understanding of psychology. There definitely tends to be a more interdisciplinary approach that needs to be taken. I'm going to ask the next obvious question, and I think we all know some of the answers, but it helps to say it out loud and work through it. Why is a lack of diversity in consumer surveying, in the industry in general, a problem? What is the industry missing out on by not actively pursuing more diversity and trying to focus their consumer research with a broader net and trying to reach these demographics that perhaps inadvertently, systemically have just not been on the radar for all of these reasons we've been talking about? Where we see a lot of growth in pet ownership is in traditionally underrepresented populations in research. So if we look at cat ownership, And we noticed that in the last 10 years, the Hispanic population of pet ownership has grown 50%. So if we think about wanting to maintain and grow market share, we cannot ignore the growing groups of pet ownership and what their needs and desires are. And I think a lot of our stereotypes about ethnic and racial groups have held us back. And one thing I can say is talking to my students or having students in class that are from these more marginalized groups is they love their pets too. They may love them differently. They may care about different things, but they are pet lovers. I have students that come to class with their dogs in their purse and the little doggy purses. That dog means a lot to them. And I think that's important to realize that that is a growing segment. It's not going to go away. If you don't respond and act, you're going to miss the boat. And these customers do have different needs and desires. One of the things we saw in our survey research from Harris-Stowe State University is people that self-identified as Black rated ingredients of the pet products as more important to them compared to people that reported as white. So if we think about that ingredient-driven approach to formulation and to marketing, that is something that we need to think about. The other thing that we saw was there tends to be brand loyalty with different groups. We saw not only ethnic and racial diversity, but diversity between males and females. Again, as I said, this had a very female-centric approach for a long time. And we know that male customers are not the same as female customers. To grow the pie, we need to grow our inclusion and understanding of what people need and want for their pets and kind of go away from that stereotypical view of what we think people need and want from their pets and really take away from all those preconceptions, really listen and understand and observe. So not just survey research, but I highly recommend ethnography research, observational research, video recordings of pets and pet parents in homes, whether interacting with toys, with beds, with food products, to see what is going on and what those moments are like. And we can look for commonalities across all pet food customers, but then we also need to look at the differences. And I think it's really important to know that differences are not good or bad. They're just areas where we can improve a product for a specific group's needs, wants, and desires. 
I want to talk about challenges a little bit because your presentation at Pet Food Forum covered a lot of this and it was very eye-opening for me because I had, from the place of privilege that I'm in, never considered the skewing of consumer survey data, the inadvertent skewing, the purposeful skewing, any of that. And so it's very possible that people are listening to this episode right now and they are like me going, I had no idea that the consumer data could be so inadvertently skewed and that we were missing entire demographics and that we might need to do this differently. What are some of the challenges in terms of increasing the diversity on both sides of the issue? You've talked a little bit about how potential participants might fear their data being collected in a certain way. Companies may not even thinking about it or taking it into consideration, you know, they're putting out a consumer survey to their audience, they get responses back, they're probably gathering some demographic data, or maybe they're not, and might not be considering all of these things. And all of those are little strings of complications. So let's work through those a little bit. What are some of the challenges you've seen? And then what are some of the ways of overcoming that? One of the things that we have to think of first is, yes, recognize the problem, that we look at our samples that we collect and then look at the demographics of it and then ask ourselves, is it Caucasian female centric? And if it is, are we okay with that? Does that match the customer or do we need to look at a more stratified sample? So a stratified sample is when we look at who we're interested in and make sure that our sample contains certain percentages of each of the different segments that we're interested in. The problem is sometimes when we do those stratified samples that the sample sizes get so low for some of the minority groups that you can't make broad sweeping generalizations. So it is an improvement to do a stratified sample, but you may need to do some targeted research because we can't just take findings that we find, and this happens a time and time in the literature because we want a headline, and the headline dilutes how that information was collected or who that information was collected from. So I think first step is just to be aware, go back and look at your sources that you're referring to, the in-home use tests that you've been relying on to build your products or the scientific papers you've drawn from and dive in and look at that sample size. Then if you realize that your samples that you've been going from are not really aligning with the consumer that you are interested in, then we need to think about how can we grow information and trust from those consumer groups that we need to understand them authentically. Because I think from working with my students at an HBCU, they're highly interested in having products and services that meet their specific needs. But they need to know that it's not all about profit, that you're not just using them, that there's this history of this idea that marginalized groups tend to feel as though big industry may be only using them for profit. And so they need to feel like they truly are understand and heard. If we take this a little bit away from race and we just look at cat people versus dog people, we've seen this in the pet industry already, that Originally, there was a lot, a lot of research on dog people and dog enjoyment and what happy dogs look like and a dog enjoying food was. And a lot of ad agencies would simply use the same format and switch it out for a dog or a cat. People that self-identified as cat people, we know now, found this highly offensive. 
that cats don't do those behaviors, that a lot of the behaviors associated with enjoyment for a dog are not the same behaviors that are associated with enjoyment for a cat. And by simply pasting the dog model onto the cat, it showed those customers, you don't really care or know about me because you're just using a dog model to sell me cat products. In the last 10 years, we've seen this increased understanding in the industry of cat people and cat people's needs and their desires and wants and understanding that they're not the same as dog people. And so if we take that non-controversial approach to this as well, it's the same thing. You really need to make your customers get that you get them, whether that means inclusive research teams, partnering with universities that do research with more diverse groups, if it means having programs have increased diversity within your company, that may be necessary if you don't want to miss out on this growing segment. It sounds like it basically comes down to nuance. You want to get as much data as you can about your consumer group so that you can put out the most effective products and gain the largest market share. And you might be inadvertently missing out on a huge chunk of market share by not taking these sort of things into account. Does that seem fair? Yes, but I do believe that, as you said, the nuance of it is that it has to be done in a appropriate, caring, pure, authentic way, or it will backfire. You cannot just talk the talk without walking the walk. If we continue to have predominantly white research teams, if we continue to have questions that are continually written from a female Caucasian centric approach, if we continue to have the data interpreted, because the data is the data, we think we send out a survey, but people have to interpret the data. If the people interpreting the data have one way of thinking too, that we may be missing a lot of information. It really comes down to changing the makeup of the research process that we really need to think, who are we interested in selling to? Why are we interested in selling to them? What are their needs? What are their desires? How are we meeting them? How are we not meeting them? And to find that information out, the ways we've been working may not work to answer these questions. It's interesting that you put it all like that because I've had a lot of conversations, some on the podcast, some just in my work as a journalist, as part of the industry, about how the industry in general and their relationships with consumers, with pet owners, is shifting. Pet owners are becoming more interested in the makeup and the actions of the businesses that they are bringing into their homes. It's not strictly transactional anymore. It's no longer, you have a bag of food, I want to buy the bag of food, we're good. People want to know what the stories are behind the companies. People want to know what the companies are involved in. People want to know things like the diverse makeup and the entire story of where the company stands on things and what they stand for and what they're trying to accomplish in the pet space. So this sounds like a strategy that would fit in really well with the way the industry is already moving. You want to be able to connect with your consumer base and you want to be able to speak to them directly and authentically because people know when you're, like you said, just talking the talk 
and not actually following through. It's happening in the trend of sustainability, in the trend of transparency, in the trend of traceability, all of these things. So this feels a lot like a natural extension of a shift that's already happening in the industry. It's just another aspect of the industry that needs to be addressed while we're addressing all of these other things. Yes, I would say that today's customers really want to be understood. And I would also say that there's a chance to build brand loyalty. We talk about brand loyalty going away, but if you're the first company that does this in a way that consumers really feel that they went out of their way to change their systems and change their processes to be inclusive of people like me, that they consider people like me, then they tend to show more brand loyalty. That is one of the things that we see in our research is that brand loyalty tends to vary a lot. And I would say that that is something that is important to consider because brand loyalty can buffer against a lot of these price wars that are occurring at the shelf. And so, yeah, it's looking at those models. And I would say, refer back to those models about where the first companies that really understood cat people Cat people are very loyal to those companies because they were the first to show, hey, we really care about cats. We're not going to take dog research and put it out there and just say, this is cats. Same thing I would say with different markets, with ethnicities and racial identities. If you really understand them and you are one of the first to do it, so it's not just a me too thing that you really walk the walk and not just talk the talk, then there is that tremendous brand loyalty that can be gained from that, where it's part of your identity as a person. I'm the type of person that buys X product because they care and they understand. I would also like to say about caring and understanding is not simply outreach projects. So a lot of companies we see will do things like sponsor a shelter. And I think pet food customers really enjoy and appreciate sponsoring of shelters, and especially if they sponsor intercity shelters. But that's an easy talk the talk thing to do. You write a check and now you have your name or your promotional Facebook post or Instagram post about how your company supports whatever inner city shelter. And I am a big proponent of shelter animals. My own dog is a rescue dog and I'm her third home because she came with behavioral issues. So I'm a big supporter of that. But in addition to that, we really do need to change the structure within the company of inclusion, that there really needs to be inclusion with the research team, starting from the training of potential employees through funding of research for research experience for undergrads, internship programs, and then how we recruit employees that a lot of the strategic employment programs focus on large, predominantly white institutions because they have the large research budgets, they have the larger laboratories, especially within the pet food industry. There's two or three that are known for nutrition research or for behavioral research or for chemical engineering or product engineering research, and they're focusing too heavily. Companies may be overlooking amazing, fabulous talent that's right there because they're simply just not looking at universities that are minority serving. So Asian American serving, Hispanic American serving, or African American serving universities are great resources for diversity. 
when they come into your company, the reason I think it's really great to have diversity, I love having diversity on my research team. My surveys would not be anywhere near the quality without my diverse research team. They come with a new perspective. They come with a different culture. They haven't all been raised the same way. They're individual people and having more people with more perspectives going into the building of the research plan and program and path of how it's executed really seems to generate better research. And if we think about better research, what we really want is new, innovative, not just incremental innovations. We want disruptive innovations in the pet food industry, things that are game changers, things that people hadn't thought of before. And if we keep bringing in the same group of people over and over again, we keep getting the same ideas over and over again. And that's why we need to broaden the table to have more people there from more backgrounds and more experiences. So that way, something new and exciting can come out. I'm a big proponent of one, collaborating on basic research projects with universities that are of high minority serving groups. And that way ensures your research that you're building your specific applied programs are and has a solid foundation. The other thing I think is critically important is increasing diversity initiatives in your paid internships. Many students, as I've said earlier, don't really know about pet food careers and what it's like in a pet food career, what skills they need, what day-to-day life is like, the types of people they'll be working with. And so getting that hands-on experience really allows them after their summer of being there or their year of doing an internship, what they walk away with that is this is what I need to go back to my university and learn before I graduate. So that really gets you a pipeline of well-prepared, work-ready graduates that is far more diverse than you're currently getting. And then lastly, the increased recruitment of new employees from universities that have high minority representation. The issue is many of these universities that have high minority groups are smaller and they're overlooked by larger companies. And what we really find is that diversity, especially diversity as far as cultural diversity, understanding diversity, lifestyle diversity, drives innovation, and it can provide new insights and perspectives that really can make groundbreaking new products. Incremental innovation is not going to grow the market. We really need those game changers to occur. And looking at recruitment from these smaller minority serving institutions is one way to get those really out of the box thinkers because they've been trained in a different type of environment than where you're getting most of your other employees from. We've talked challenges, we've talked benefits, you've provided a lot of actionable items for companies to consider. What would you say would be the one place a company could start to increase diversity, to take a look at their consumer research? What would be the most important place to start, do you think? First thing I would say is assess your current research programs. Go back and look at who you're sampling and then see if you're making generalizations from those samples that reach far beyond those samples. Are you making population generalizations from samples that don't represent your consumer population group? Number two, if you then realize, hey, a certain market is growing, 
I need to play in that space in order to maintain my market share, grow my market share. And I think all companies do at this point, if we look at where pet food purchases are growing in the United States, then you need to develop a plan. So the low risk way to go about it is to start some small collaboration, basic research projects with universities that are high minority survey. And this allows you one to start building that trust. It also helps you have that solid foundation with minimal investment. And it also gives you access to conversations with the professors from these universities, the students from these universities to begin to understand the group in a low risk, low cost way. Once you have that basic understanding and you're growing, that's when I say it's when you start wanting to bring in internships and then work your way into full-blown employees. Because in the end, you know, we want highly trained employees that can go tackle these issues. But currently, there are very few highly trained employees that can tackle these issues because of the systemic problem of they're not represented in their educational system. Pet food careers is something that is seldom talked about at schools that specialize in education of racial and ethnic minorities. And so I feel that needs to change, that we need to start preparing the employees of tomorrow. I think that is an excellent note to end on and very true. I really want to thank you for today's conversation. Diversity in various aspects of the pet food space is an ongoing conversation that has been growing in volume in the last several years, as it should. And I think it's important to understand our shortcomings in order to course correct and really see what we've been missing out on and how we can become more inclusive and reach out to more potential customers. Before we go, let's do a little plug. Where can people find you, your research, Pet Insights? The easiest way to find me is through Pet Insights. So the webpage for that is www.petinsights.info. If you're interested in customized research that you want to keep the property of your company and keep it confidential, just let me know that you're interested in Pet Insight Services. If you're interested in helping HBCUs and student programs, student internship programs, growing the population of students and internships, I can direct you from there to my university address. Perfect. That is it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on PetFoodIndustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at Trending Pet Food Podcast. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.